Shalom Aleichem. My name is Aaron Lansky, and I'm here today with Jordan Kutzik, who's a fellow here at the Yiddish Book Center. And since he arrived here in September, he's been working pretty much nonstop on this treasure trove of Yiddish uh, audio that we found up at the Jewish Public Library in Montreal. So welcome, Jordan. Thanks. So uh, you came to the Book Center, and what happened? Yeah. Well, I uh, found out I'd soon be working on a large collection of audio materials from Montreal that I hadn't even known existed, so it was pretty amazing and a bit overwhelming, but I was blown away when I read through the log that the librarians kept diligently throughout the years of all the thousands of programs they had uh, between the 50s and the 90s of uh, recordings, and it was uh, both uh, intimidating and uh, fascinating and an honor to be working with them. So what did the legend look like? All right, so it's a, it's almost, it's a wide ledger, so it's about 18, inch, 18 inches by 12, and we have uh, copies that the last fellows who went to Montreal made. And there are about 1,500 reel-to-reels, and each one is described, and the descriptions are in the same language as the material, so the ones in Yiddish are in Yiddish. The ones in English are in English, and French, and French, so, and so forth. And the handwritten Yiddish is unusually clear, so it was a very lucky thing that I'm able to read it pretty yeah, easily. Yeah, that makes life a little easier, right? Yeah. And were you pretty good at reading handwriting to begin with? Yeah, I'm, I have a lot of experience with it. So, And so I went through all of the entries, picked out uh, those that I felt were of uh, would be of more interest or of more scholarly value. Um, we decided just to take every single one in uh, Yiddish as well and made a list and went up to Montreal and the Jewish Public Library is amazing. So, so you just went, right? Like literally just got yeah, back a few yeah, days we, ago? Yeah, we got back on Thursday. So. Wow, so had you been to Montreal before? Uh, yeah, I went when I was uh, about 16, but uh, and, ha and have you ever been to the library before? No, I'd never been to the library. All right, so, so describe a little bit for our listeners. Just tell them what the place looks like. It's probably a little um, unexpected in some way. Yeah, right? it's in a very nice building that belongs, um, that houses a lot of Jewish institutions, uh, the Federation, the Holocaust Museum, and the uh, Jewish Public Library, which has two floors. Um, the top floor is the children's section. The bottom floor has the books for adults as well as a large uh, collection of archives and archival materials behind the scenes. The library has active lending collections in five languages, uh, English, French, Yiddish, Hebrew, and Russian. Wow. And there are even still children's books being lended in Yiddish, which I was very happy to see to uh, Hasidic families that come in. And in the back behind the, uh, the books, uh, you go through a hallway with lots and lots of folders with clippings of taking out from newspapers from the Yiddish and the English and the Hebrew press about writers. And in the middle of that, there are about 2,000 recordings, both on reel-to-reels and on cassettes. And the reel-to-reels, if you've never seen one, they range in size from being about eight inches long to being about Eight inches in diameter? You mean? Eight inches in diameter, yeah, to being about 15 inches in diameter. Wow. Um, and wow. they switch back and forth 
um, in and size. They're in little boxes? They're in little boxes. Every box has the exact same words as what's written in the ledger. Inside, they often have the original program uh, advertisement going back to the 1940s. Well, so we better explain what that's all about. So what do yeah. you mean program advertisement? For what kind of programs? So they, the recordings are mostly of public programs with uh, writer, usually with writers, sometimes with uh, musicians and so forth. And they invite someone to come to Montreal. They come to Montreal for a few days or even a few weeks, stay with different people in the community and give a lecture on their work and then read um, from their uh, read from their own work, as well as be introduced by people from the community. And this started probably in the 1920s, but the earliest recordings uh, that we have of it are from the 1950s. And, and how far do they go? So early 1950s, I assume, right? Yeah, the f the earliest recording we have is from 1953, but most of them, but the main collection starts in 1954. Um, we have recordings as late as 2005. Wow, wow. So, you know, I remember when I was a grad student in Montreal, I used to go every Saturday night. I just lived down the street from the Jewish Public Library. And I would go every Saturday night to these public lectures in Yiddish. And it was unbelievable. You know, you have to understand in Montreal in the middle of the winter, it's 10, 20 below zero outside. 300 people would show up every Saturday night to these lectures, you know, entirely in Yiddish with conversation and argumentation in Yiddish afterwards. So mm -hmm. I, I always found these kind of uniquely uh, spirited and extraordinary moments to hear Yiddish as a living language like that. To think this has all been recorded was something I, I feel like, uh, you know, the people who discovered the Nixon tapes or something that, you know, who knew all this was being recorded all those years and who knew they had lain down in the basement of the library all these years as uh, well? Only, only a few people were actually aware of the recordings. I interviewed David Budvinnik uh, about his life. He grew up in Vilna before World War II and was kind of a, not kind of, he was a musical prodigy and has been active in the Montreal mm. community for many years. And it turns out two of his sons made many of the recordings in the 70s and 80s wow. and were trained by the original person who made the recordings. And um, But I spoke to some people who had been going to the programming for 30, 40 years and went as children and went as adults and led programs later when they became professors and they had no idea that recordings had ever been made and were stunned by that. So Stunned is the word. What a, what a great historical moment this is. So, so tell me about some of the really exciting stuff you found because that's oh, kind of what we've all been waiting for to hear this. So. Well, when I was describing it to a group of friends, I realized it was much easier to describe the writers we don't have than <laughs> to describe the writers we have because it's, um, we basically have every major Yiddish writer who was alive uh, between the 1950s and the 1980s, which is quite a, a large number of people. Things of really high historical value and of interest to me personally was the recording of Shmurka Kaczarginski, uh, who was a partisan in the Vilna ghetto and, and was an ethnomusicologist. And after uh, World War II, he resettled in Lodge uh, Poland and went around with uh, David Botvinnik and a few others and recorded songs from the concentration camps and ghettos and he was a very known, very well known figure and he died suddenly in a plane crash in Argentina in 54? 54, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he visited Montreal in <coughs> 1953 and they have a recording of him. Wow. And wow. most of the recorders 
that recording was based on an earlier set that we don't have anymore, but when he died, they decided to re-record it. Hmm. Uh, so, strangely enough, had he not died, we would not have this particular recording. Wow, wow. So what's he say? I don't know. I haven't <laughs> heard it yet. I mean, yeah, we should explain that for a second yeah. uh, too, Jordan, because you can't just like take this stuff and stick it in your car stereo or something, right? You got to. No, be it's um, it's very it's a very good medium for maintaining sound over time. A cassette tape degrades by thirty <coughs> years. You can't hear anything on it. Hmm. These tapes will r remain for a while, but at the same time, it's very dangerous to put these things through a machine. You might destroy them. So we're having them redigitized, uh, not redigitized, digitized, um, so that they'll be available as MP3 files and can be put online. Yeah, and where's that being done? Um, in, um, in Massachusetts, and uh, Massachusetts Soundworks, I believe. And that's in Boston, I think? It's in the Boston area, yeah. And it's real time, right? So it it's takes a while. It's real time. They actually, it's a spinning reel, kind of like an old film canister. Uh, so it has mm -hmm. to, an hour of tape takes an hour to digitize. And we have, we're going to be doing about 1,200 hours. So that's uh, at least 1,200 hours plus processing. So it's going to take a while. But oh. we do have, um, we do have 10 done already. And from them, I, so what does that mean, done? What, what uh, we, mean? Have we have <coughs> 10 uh, recordings already in MP3 format that I've listened to, and I'm pulling out clips right now of different writers speaking about their work, uh, things that I found interesting, and I'm making short films with uh, s English subtitles so people can follow along if they don't know Yiddish. So before you tell me you know, what you're doing, mm -hmm. What, what did it feel like when you heard this stuff for the first time? I mean, uh, whom, did, whom did you hear and what did you feel? Yeah. Amazing. Uh, the first time I, the first one I clicked on was Chaim Grada. And, and we should explain who Grada is. Grada was a major Yiddish novelist originally from uh, Vilna. This seems to be a very Vilna-centered conversation. But he was from Vilna. He's a major, originally a major poet, then a major novelist in Yiddish. And there's a lot of interest in him now because a large cachet of his manuscripts and papers have recently become available. So there's right, right. a lot of excitement about when his books will come, uh, yeah. more books might come out. In fact, we're going to be doing a conference about Grada here at the Book Center, I think in March of this coming year, so people can stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime... Yeah, so, so he's giving this incredibly impassioned lecture in Yiddish, um, and it's just... Hit, uh, the tape just begins in the middle of the lecture with him yelling, what has Yiddish literature accomplished? And then he goes on. This is, this is in Yiddish, of yeah, course. Yeah, right? yeah, in yeah. Yiddish, yeah. of course. Yeah, and, it for, and he goes on for 10 minutes with this booming voice that in another culture would be like a fiery reverend or something. I don't know how to <laughs> describe it. it does I think not we call that lahavdil of elafavdolas, but I got the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it's just a voice I don't, it's not a voice you associate with a scholarly lecture, and then a half hour later, he's reading his poetry in a very soft voice, and it doesn't even sound like the same person. And the next recording I turned on, I had no idea what it was, because I just heard these drums and screaming, and it turned out it was Allen Ginsberg, <laughs> um, which I have much less understanding of than I do Chaim Garata. So I'm, I'm assuming Allen Ginsberg wasn't in Yiddish, eh? No. No, though... 
there are there are there was a note about them in the log in, in Yiddish. Um, you know, there's an entry in English, and sometimes they put a Yiddish entry yeah. as well. But he did go up to Montreal, and he did give a lecture at the Jewish Library. He gave right? a lecture and a concert at the Jewish Library. In fact, we I ended up spoke, uh, speaking to the man who uh, invited him. He was in the California area and in uh, the Berkeley area, I believe, and ended up at his bookstore and thought maybe it would bring a crowd to bring him. So it was kind of a you know, kind of coincidental thing that he came at all. It was a little bit after the height of his popularity. It was like 1974 that he did the concert. Oh, that was when he was already into his whole uh, Buddhist thing and all yeah, that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember his mother once came here, or his stepmother, rather, came to a program here many years ago, and I remember her telling us these stories. Says, oh, Alan used to bring all his friends over to the house. Kerouac couldn't get enough of my flunkin'. I just remember <laughs> that one line, so... <laughs> What's Flunkin? <laughs> Do you really not know? I don't oh, know. <laughs> flunkin is a, uh, <clears throat> that's a little hard to define. It's a kind of Jewish meat that's uh, cooked for a very improbably long time. I think you serve it on Shabbos when you're not going to okay. have time. You can't actually cook. And it's uh, quite chewy, as I remember it from my uh, pre-vegetarian childhood. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so. Uh, going back. So, so, okay, so we have Grata. What, what else have you heard? Um, I've heard recordings of Sutzkever, um, wow, who's a wow. famous poet. Um, Dora Wasserman, who founded the um, Yiddish Theater in Montreal. It's a very early recording from 1958, maybe. Oh, my God. I knew her as a much older woman. I can't wait to hear that one. And okay. it's her yeah. giving a eulogy for uh, Mikhoyles, who was the head of the Soviet Yiddish Theater. Right, who of course had been murdered by Stalin uh, in a, in a um, faked traffic uh, accident. Yeah, right? and it, yeah. this recording's from shortly after they learned the exact circumstances of his death. His death had been announced um, when it happened, but this was probably within months of when it became clear exactly how and why he died. So they had a memorial program for him, and it's a, it's a stunning eulogy with her personal recollections of him. Had she worked with him? Yeah, she had worked with him in wow, probably wow. the probably before the war, maybe d during the war, in fact. It just underscores how significant the Montreal Jewish community was. I mean, there were so many people there. I know uh, uh, a number of Jewish writers who had been up there as well, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah, we have, we have some major, most of the major writers make four or five appearances over 40 years, but there are a group of major writers, including Chava Rosenfarb, who was quite young at the beginning of the recordings. Um, yeah, one of the great epic Jewish Yiddish novelists. Yeah, she's an amazing novelist who's becoming more and more well-known in English. Um, mostly wrote about her experiences in the Lodge Ghetto. Um, we also have uh, the Ravitches, were both in Montreal. Is it Melech Ravitch? Melech and his brother as well. And they, he has a program nearly every year with something with him, sometimes about his own work, sometimes about other people's works, and he chairs a lot of the meetings. Every meeting they have a, hmm. a writer come and they have a chair and they have a questioner. It's a very formal, very academic culture, um, but at the same time, very warm. It's uh, interesting recordings. I, I love how the recordings capture the culture. That was no one's intent at the time, of course, but, but in retrospect, sometimes the things one doesn't seek to record would be the most significant parts of it of all. Right? No, it's, it's really interesting because when I first went to formal academic lectures in Yiddish with now elderly 
Jews, I was amazed by how formalized the structure of the meetings were with announcements and pronouncements and a very, um, almost like an academic conference. And I remember trying to describe this to a friend and not knowing, you know, what the term, what the equivalent would be because I had never seen meetings like that and it's all captured on the tapes and you can hear people walking in and being told to be quiet and all sorts of little things in addition to the main speakers and the way in which those are done will be of a lot of interest to some people as well. It sounds fantastic. Anything else you want to tell us about in terms of the content? I, you probably go on all day with this, yeah, right? Yeah, I can yeah. go on all day. I just, the really interesting experience for me has been two things. One has been people contacting me and saying, do you have a recording of my father, my grandfather, my wife, and wow, this, and wow, I wow. can go through the log and often find things. Um, I also was asked by several translators, do you have recordings of this? It would be great if I'm writing an introduction to a book of translations. It would be great if I could pull out a quote from the tapes. In one case, I said, no, it doesn't look like the person's there. And then I go and I find, we found a second log that we didn't know about um, that covered the years 1989 to 2005. And I find um, two recordings by that author that I had just told someone two days earlier that we didn't have. So that was really cool to stumble exactly upon what I thought wasn't, I thought didn't exist, but it turns out was right there just to be pulled off a shelf. Oh, that's so emblematic of the whole project though, right? I mean, everything here is stuff we didn't think existed and everything stuff we never thought we'd hear again. I gotta tell you, the first time I heard it, last summer I heard the, one of the, the Grotta recordings and I put this little USB stick into my computer and listened to it for the first time over headphones. I swear to God, I got like goosebumps, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I, I never thought I'd hear these voices again and I think most of our you know, members and most of the people out there are going to feel exactly the same way when they hear it. Which leads to my last question, so when are we going to hear it all? Um, the first batch of them, hopefully in uh, three to five months and the whole thing, um, anywhere from nine months to a year, the plan is to have a searchable database where people can search um, by author name, by title, by topic. Um, as well as by the names of other people who participa uh, participate in the uh, performances or in the lectures. And I'm also going through and making short clips, uh, with uh, film clips for YouTube with English subtitles so people who don't know Yiddish um, and or don't know the writers can learn a bit uh, about them. And I'm looking for things that represent the, the body of work. Jordan, this is so great. I, I can't commend you enough for everything you're doing to make this happen. Absolutely. And uh, I'll have you back in a few months and you'll let us know what's coming up then because it won't be long before the first of these, I think, start making their way onto the air. Sure. Thanks very much. Sure.